What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast, Kevin Valentin. And I'm the other host of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabro. Kevin, what's good, my guy? It's been a minute since we've done an episode. It has. It's been a little bit. Guys, we've had a couple of things happening. Vacations, travel, just a bunch of shit. And then obviously a little bit of a, a dry form of content, just trying to find some stuff. But thankfully, we're here and the NFL is back, baby. Thank God. Oh, 100%. Now, granted, this will be a pretty condensed episode just because, granted, Kevin just said uh, the NFL preseason has started. Uh, but there are a couple topics that we want to get to for you guys for this episode today. So let's not waste any more time. Uh, let's dive into this agenda. So the first segment we'll go over is going to be the quarterback battle that seems to be brewing in Carolina between Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield. We'll talk about how we see that. Uh, playing out as the pre- preseason goes along. After that, we'll kick it over to the NFC for a little bit. We'll talk about the ongoing situation at the quarterback position for the commanders. Uh, Carson Wentz is projected to be the starter for the Washington commanders this upcoming season, but Sam Howell, their rookie QB that they drafted, had quite a showing in their first preseason game this past weekend. So we'll kind of dive into that subject a little bit more as we go along into the episode after that we'll talk about the injury scare that zach wilson had in their first preseason game with the jets this past weekend and then to round out the episode uh, we're going to talk about the afc west and i mean kevin let's just face it the afc west is stacked from top to bottom and as we dive into that preview it's definitely going to be a tricky one that's definitely one that we kind of talked about a little bit before we started recording but overall Uh, When we dive into that preview for the AFC West, it's going to be a fun one as far as I'm concerned. Uh, So with that said, uh, let's dive into our first topic. Let's go over the quarterback battle that's brewing in Carolina. So uh, the Panthers are coming off of their first preseason game uh, this past weekend. They played against the Washington Commanders. Uh, The Panthers did win that game by the score of 23-21. to But really, the, the main thing that we want to focus on here is how both quarterbacks for the Panthers... Uh, played in that first preseason game. Uh, Baker played limited minutes uh, through four of seven, had about 45 yards passing. Sam Darnold was two of three for 16 yards. He did throw a touchdown in that first preseason game as well. And as we get closer to the beginning of the regular season, the Panthers are going to have to make a decision on who they're going to go with at the starting at the starting spot for the quarterback. Is it going to be Baker? Is it going to be Sam Darnold? Only time will tell as we go along into the preseason and as we get closer to the regular season. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, who do you think is going to be the starting quarterback for the Carolina Panthers day one? Is it going to be Sam Darnold or is it going to be Baker Mayfield? I mean, I'll keep this clear cut and concise realistically. Who's been to the playoffs? Who's got a playoff win? Who's the guy that's been successful since he's been into the NFL minus some injuries? It's Baker Mayfield. Sam Darnold has had a couple of opportunities. Obviously, it it went rough in New York with Adam Gase as his head coach. Obviously, coming to Carolina last year, he showed flashes in the first three games. But they had a very weak schedule playing a combined, I believe, 0-9 record at that time last season uh, against teams that were just subpar. Gave him a couple, excuse me, gave them a couple of challenging uh, opponents in the next couple of weeks, and he folded. Cam Newton had to be signed back. PJ Walker got some time. I mean, it, it, it was, excuse me, Philip Walker had some time. It, it didn't bode well for him. 
Sam Darnold, unfortunately, will always be labeled, in my opinion, as the guy that saw ghosts against the New England Patriots on Monday Night Football. I just, I'll never get it out of my mind. I will never be able to shake it. Just like Mark Sanchez's butt fumble, unfortunately, it just happens to be jet quarterbacks to do weird shit. Um, Sam just doesn't have that it factor for me. I know it's the Panthers. I know that they're not a playoff team. I know that they're not anything special. But when you look at the persona that is Baker Mayfield, there's one thing that he always had, and that's confidence. No matter whether that was Cleveland, no matter if that was in college, it didn't make a difference. Baker goes into every situation ready to go. I think that if CMC can stay healthy, Roby Anderson and DJ Moore can produce on the outside, he gets some protection up front, that he can be solid. I'm not saying 35 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. I'm not even saying 4,000 yards passing. But I think that a healthy Baker Mayfield is better than Sam Darnold any day of the week. I just think overall, what they've done since they've been drafted at the same time has been significantly different. And I think that Baker has been able to do more. And obviously, he had more weapons around him in his NFL career. But he also went through a carousel of head coaches and offensive coordinators. So you can't say that, you know, from a front office standpoint, he's had consistency. He's been able to do a lot when healthy and went on the field. And again, it speaks for his resume when he was the one that went to a playoff game and was able to lead the Browns to their first playoff win in over 20 years. Baker Mayfield will be the starter week one. Now, if he can stay healthy and obviously stay consistent, I would hope that he remains the starter. But we all know how Carolina is with Matt Rule. If for whatever reason... Baker shows weakness. Who knows if he throws Sam in at some point throughout the season. But in terms of week one, Baker Mayfield will start for Carolina. And Kevin, I'm with you 100% on this one. I'm going with Baker Mayfield as well. Uh, Just when I look at the quarterback battle between both Mayfield and Sam Darnold, uh, it's an easy one just because I think Baker is the better quarterback. Just to kind of hit the point that you made with the whole Sam Darnold seeing ghosts when he was playing with the Jets on Monday Night Football against the Patriots. I think that that reputation is just kind of carried along in his career. Unfortunately, you know, Sam was a hot prospect coming out of college from USC, but he really hasn't lived up to the hype ever since he's gotten to the NFL. But Baker has. And, you know, that's despite the fact that Baker's kind of had some some personal issues or people have looked at his character and, and they don't necessarily think he's like the best leader for a team. But you can't deny the fact that he's led them, you know, and the team that he's been on to some decent success along the way. So, I mean, overall, when I look at the Panthers, they're going to be in a tricky situation regardless because, let's face it, the Bucks are a better team than them. You can make a case that the New Orleans Saints are a better team than them. And Panthers are basically just looking at a situation of trying to stay competitive in a pretty competitive NFC South this year. And I do think that Baker Mayfield gives them the best option compared to Sam Darnold. When I look at last year specifically, Sam Darnold was atrocious last year. There's just no other way to say it. He completed only 59% of his passes, had nine touchdowns to 13 interceptions, and I think threw for under 3,000 yards. When I look at Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield was dealing with a bunch of injuries, had a shoulder issue, had a knee issue, and was still able to complete 60% of his passes, throw for over 3,000 yards, 17 touchdowns to 13 interceptions. Now, granted, statistically, when you look at Baker's stats, they're not necessarily that impressive. But I look at the situation that he was dealing with last year with all the injuries, and he fought through that season last year with Cleveland. Granted, it didn't really work out that well for the Browns last year, but I have to credit Baker for his toughness, for being able to go out there, risk his body, put it out there on the line every single week, and try to make the Browns as competitive of a team as they could have been last year. I think going into this year, you know, Baker's going to be 100% healthy. Hopefully that shoulder has fully healed and hopefully it doesn't become a lingering issue if he 
continues to get dinged on that side of his body. But overall, the Panthers definitely need one of these guys to step up. I do believe that Baker is the option. I think that Baker is the better quarterback. He completes a higher percent of his passes. He doesn't turn the ball over as frequently as Sam Darnold. Sam has a pretty high tendency to do that. And I think overall, as long as Baker stays healthy, I think the Panthers can be a somewhat viable team in the NFC South. But do I think that's going to manifest itself in a playoff appearance? No. I don't think it would happen even if Sam Darnold was a quarterback. I just think you know between these two quarterbacks, between Sam and Baker, Baker is the option. And that's just how I see it. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like you said, Sam had a bad reputation, and he had a bad luck of a bad deck of cards. He had the, the terrible luck going into an Adam Gay system. And truthfully, if I'm being honest, Roby Anderson kind of hit it on the head of he had shortcomings in his NFL development. He went and played for a coach that made plays and had a play-calling system that just made no sense. Week in and week out, how many times have we scrutinized the Jets as a whole? But you look at it from a coaching perspective, and it's like, what the hell is Adam Gase doing? You had a couple of terrible signings, and obviously you go and you get Le'Veon Bell, who basically quits on the team, and, and you're sitting there looking at Sam Darnold like, like he's supposed to save you when you have no weapons around him. Um, Roby had made that comment, or should I say had made that statement on I Am, the, I am an Athlete or I Am Athlete uh, podcast with Brandon Marshall and those boys. And I, I think he hit some points to at least kind of solidify what it is that Sam had gone through. Baker went into a system where he knew he was the guy. Baker went into a system where he had to develop with Hugh Jackman as a head coach. And I, I think that they had just overall better weapons in Cleveland at the time. And obviously drafting David Njoku, Nick Chubb, it just, they had something to work with. Mm-hmm. Sam just kind of was like, here you go. I feel bad for the guy because you know that there were times where he made some throws like, damn, he's pretty solid. And then Adam Gase kind of studied, stunted his growth, in my opinion. I agree with what Roby said. Yeah, it's just, you know, when you look at Sam's situation, I mean, going up against the best coach of all time and the best quarterback of all time and Tom Brady and Bill Belichick with the Patriots, I mean, granted, that's not an easy feat to go up against, but... You know, when I look, if, look at Sam's development early in his career, I don't think the Jets did him any favors. If anything, they probably hurt his career tremendously just because the one thing that the coaching staff, that they're able, that they should be able to do is provide stability for the quarterback to be able to flourish early on in their career. Obviously, rookie quarterbacks and, and young quarterbacks are going to make mistakes. That just kind of comes with the territory. But when it came to Sam, Sam was making so many mistakes and I think by and large, it was a product of the coaching staff. And that was Adam Gase. And you could probably say upper management of not providing Sam the requisite pieces, not just when it came to receivers, but when it comes to the offensive linemen as well to be able to protect him effectively. Because when, when look, when you're dealing with a situation where you don't have confidence in your offensive line to be able to protect effectively, you that's where the whole ghost thing kind of comes in. And I think just... As time went on, I think Sam just got to a point where it's like it's not even it's not even worth it. Just because I have to dodge defenders constantly. I have to make 50-50 passes that could get picked off, or at best they may fall incomplete. You know, best case scenario, guy comes down with it for a reception. But I mean, when it came to his tenure with the Jets, it was just awful. And when I look at the situation that he's been with Carolina, let's just face it. 
he was pretty bad last year. And that's kind of putting him mildly. I mean, nine touchdowns to 13 interceptions and under 3,000 yards passing. It's not a good look. And then you get replaced by Cam Newton, who they signed off the street after he got released by New England last year. I'm just saying, like, when I look at the situation this year, the Panthers made the move to trade for Baker Mayfield. You know That, that would in, indicate to me that that's the guy that they're going to go with, even if Baker doesn't necessarily play well throughout the preseason. But just to kind of wrap this up, I do believe that the quarterback situation in Carolina is going to be a fluid one this year, though. Because if Baker does not play well, Sam's going to get some starts. So 100%. Baker's Baker's got to take advantage of the opportunity here. And when it comes to Baker, I do believe that he's going to be in the mindset of, you know, Cleveland screwed me. And I'm going to go out and prove them wrong. The biggest thing with him is whether or not to stay healthy. If he can stay healthy, I think it'll be fine. If he can't, then Sam's definitely going to get some time. There's no doubt about that. It's just going to be dependent on how effective Baker is and if he could stay healthy. But overall, um, it's I, I think it's going to be a, a fluid situation uh, at that quarterback position for Carolina. I, I I just got a feeling that we're going to see both quarterbacks get some starting time this year. I, I don't know why I believe that, but I do believe that Baker will be this, the day one starter. So with that said, we're going to transition to our next segment, and that is going to be with the Washington Commanders. Now, the Commanders are coming off of their first preseason game uh, this past weekend. And really, the star of the show from their first preseason game was not Carson Wentz. It was Sam Howell, their rookie quarterback they drafted uh, this past offseason. And he really put on some pretty big highlight clips. He was able to rush effectively. He was able to pass effectively. And really, it's starting to get to the point now where that quarterback position is going to be an interesting one for the Washington Commanders this upcoming season. Obviously, uh, the Commanders went out and got Carson Wentz uh, from the Indianapolis Colts this offseason, and I think a lot of people kind of penned in Carson to be the week one starter, but Sam did turn a lot of heads in that first preseason game this past weekend. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, do you think that Carson Wentz's job as the starting quarterback for the Washington Commanders is in jeopardy due to the rise of Sam Howell? I know it's only week one of the preseason. I understand that Sam Howell's a rookie. I understand that Carson Wentz is due over $30 million this year. Uh, but truthfully, based on what I saw last year with Carson as a Colt, based on what I've heard and seen in terms of highlights and read some articles in terms of how Carson's been performing in camp, it hasn't been good. Carson's been missing targets. Carson's been overthrowing receivers. He's been throwing balls into the dirt. They say that he's a good leader in the locker room, which is what we heard in Philly, which is what we heard in Indy. It's nothing about his character, but his skill on the field, for whatever reason, has plummeted over the last couple of seasons. He's never really been able to bounce back since that whole situation arised in Philadelphia. And I think that that is going to continue throughout the season, especially if he's going to be in a similar situation just like he was with Jalen Hurts. Granted, Jalen Hurts was drafted in the second round. That was a little bit more of fire on his heels. There was a lot of plays where Jalen Hurts was coming in in terms of having wildcat um, you know, quarterback draws and other situations to where Carson was off the field. And I don't think that that's necessarily the case here in Washington to where they're going to put two quarterbacks on the field at the same time. But Sam Howell played very well. Sam Howell has been having a good camp. Sam Howell had made a multitude of good throws in this game to where you kind of turned your head and say, he was a fifth-round quarterback? Wait, what? 
two rushing throws, excuse me, two, two rushing uh, touchdowns, and then you had a two-point conversion to bring Washington back into this game. I understand that he was probably playing third, fourth, if not practice squad players in terms of difficulty and skill level, but when you go out there and you lead a team when you were down God knows how many points in the fourth quarter of a preseason game to actually play meaningful football, um, that shows poise, that shows veteran leadership, that shows skill, and that shows composure. That, those are all things that Carson Wentz has not been able to do outside of the leadership category because we all know that inside that locker room, people love him. That's not the problem. It's not an issue. It's on-the-field performances. When the game gets tough, Carson folds. When you need him the most, Carson disappears. Sam Howell didn't run from the adversity here. Sam Howell found a way to lead his team back to within two points of this game, and they fell short. All I'm saying is Carson needs to be aware because... Howell's got the mobility, he's got the arm strength, and he showed that he can actually put the ball in some good places. Accuracy is key. And I know that Carson went 10 of 13 for 74 yards, but all I'm saying is if Carson doesn't step it up, put a little bit more gas onto the pedal, he could very well lose this job. We all know that Taylor Heineke is a good football player. He's a good backup. But there were too many instances where he made a lot of bad decisions. So... Taylor will probably remain on this team, and I'm not saying that Sam's going to jump Taylor too, but if Taylor continues to struggle, Sam will jump guaranteed to that number two spot if Ron Rivera wants him to. I'm still of the mindset that Carson Wentz is going to be the day one starter or the week one starter, I should say. I don't think that's really in jeopardy here, but I will say this just to kind of give Sam Howell some credit. He He definitely moved some heads this past week. And granted, I, I don't think it's going to manifest itself in him getting the, the week one starting quarterback position. I, I don't think he's at that point yet. But I will say that Carson probably took notice on how well Sam played in that first preseason, preseason game. Granted, it's his first experience uh, playing in the NFL. And by and large, I thought it was a success for him. It doesn't guarantee that that will continue. But if you're Carson Wentz, this tells me Look, I got to be on my A game. And I thought Carson in that first game was fine. But really, Sam was the one that impressed me the most. And, you know, when I look at Sam Howell, granted, fifth-round draft pick, I don't think a lot of people were expecting that Sam Howell would flourish this well, this early in Washington's system. But the fact that he was, you know, relatively decent when it came to passing, 9 of 16 for 145 yards. Granted, he could probably improve uh, the completion percentage a little bit better but it's his first crack at the nfl so i'll give him a little bit of slack for that but i love the fact that he was able to utilize his legs and be able to shake defenders and on one of them and it ended up being a touchdown so you know not not only did he get one rushing touchdown he had two rushing touchdowns in that game so i i give the kid a lot of credit for taking advantage of the situation that was in front of him and maximizing it to the fullest of his potential and when it comes to how I see that impact in Carson Wentz, I think it finally gives Carson Wentz a decent reason to go and play at a higher level. Now there's actually some competition behind him. Because when I look at the situation that Carson Wentz was dealing with in Indy last year, he was going to be the starting quarterback. Granted, he was dealing with some early injury issues at the beginning of the season, but nobody was really expecting that Carson Wentz was going to lose his starting spot as the quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts, unless he fell completely off due to just ineffectiveness to be able to execute. But 
when it comes to Carson in the situation with Washington, I do believe that with Sam's rise, granted it's only been one preseason game, I think Carson's going to take notice of that, and he's going to use that as feel and motivation to be able to play at a higher level for Washington. And hopefully for them, it means that Carson plays at a higher level, at a more effective level to be able to complete passes on a consistent basis, you know, not throw errant passes like he did multiple times with the Colts last year. And the one thing that Carson can utilize very well here is that he can utilize his legs. He did it in Philly early on in his career. He was able to do it in times with the Colts last year. And if a player breaks down, Carson could be able to do that with Washington here. So overall, I'm of the mindset that Carson still could be the week one starter. I'm not saying that his job is in jeopardy yet. But if Carson slips, I imagine that Ron Rivera and the coaching staff may come to a situation where they may have to evaluate the quarterback position and they may give Sam Howell a look. Maybe they give it to Taylor Heineke. It just kind of depends on who's the hot hand at the time. But Sam definitely proved to me that he's definitely somebody to consider in this equation. And it's not just a two-man race with Carson Wentz and Taylor Heineke anymore. Sam's put himself in that discussion, but I still believe Carson's going to be the day one starter for Washington. That's just how I see it. Hey, it's going to be interesting. Point blank period. At the end of the day, Carson Wentz has had his multitude of opportunities in the NFL. He's had a vote of confidence from all the teams he's been on. Obviously, commanders going out there and acquiring him shows that they trusted him enough to go and trade what they did to Indianapolis. Thank you, Washington. Um, but you, you have to look at this and say, damn, he's literally throwing his career away because he's just not been able to recover mentally. We know that the physical stature is there. We know that he can throw 50-yard passes. We know that he can escape and be mobile. We know that he can be a great leader in a locker room, but... For whatever reason, since his time in Philly, he's cracked. And I, I, you know, I feel bad for the guy, but at the same time, it's kind of like, well, y- y- you have to be able to rebuttal. You have to be able to show resilience. You have to be able to show, like, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. Like, teams are literally trading for me. I'm owed all of this money. At some point, you have to look at it and say, and look within yourself and say, I got to do this. Like, I, I know I'm capable of doing it. I'm 6'6". Six, six. I have the arm strength. I have the talent. I'm not old. I've had a couple of injuries, but I'm still here. Yeah, uh, you you can't up. discredit the, the fact that he's a warrior because he played with two busted ankles. He was going to play with COVID. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure he did play with COVID after a week of no, uh, no practice. The guy tries his hardest. He gives it his all, and he loves his team. But the skill just isn't there anymore, and you have to just say, you know what? If a kid is able to put us in a better situation, Ron's got to give him the nod. I just, I can't blindly give faith in Carson Wentz. Not that I ever did, but I I can't look at it and say, just because you're owed this money or just because you're a veteran in the league, that doesn't mean that I have to give you the benefit of the doubt anymore. Well, I think the one thing that's always been kind of commended about Carson Wentz, I mean, just outside of football, is from every account I've heard, the dude is a, Tremendous guy, you know, has great personal character. And and honestly, I think that's a a part of why I think a lot of teams like Carson Wentz and bring someone like him into the locker room. I think that's one of the reasons why you bring in a guy like that. Now, it's it's great to have somebody in there like that. But it's like you said, has has to be able to execute. And I mean, Kevin, you have firsthand account of, of Carson's play from last year. Like if you had to scale it from one to 10, what would you rate his effectiveness as? Uh, effectiveness? Probably like a four. I mean, there were there were games, man, like like the Baltimore game. We just, 
we completely folded with our defense and the injuries. We've talked about this a number of times personally and on the podcast. The man barely missed. He had over 400 yards. He had three passing touchdowns. He had no interceptions. I mean, he he only had, I think, seven or eight interceptions all season last year. But when we needed him most, the man was the fucking avatar. He vanished. Missing T.Y. Hilton against the Raiders. Not being able to, you know, to formidably compete against the Jaguars. Disappearing against the Patriots. Like, uh, there were games where we really, really needed him to be like the, the, the first round pick. The number two overall pick. And he... I don't know, bro. I really, I have no concept. Forced balls, um, unnecessary uh, gambles, uh, just blatantly missing. I mean, the left-handed throw out of the end zone against Tennessee. That's a bad one. You can't excuse a lot of the things that he did last season. And again, I understand he had to overcome a lot of issues with injuries and locker room problems with like him and Frank Reich not seeing the same page uh, the playbook-wise. I mean, you know, wide receiver injuries, lack of depth. I just... Play calling. There's a number of different things, but Carson Wentz as a whole is is to me past the point of excuses. He's not worth thirty million dollars anymore. And if he were to lose his job within the first month of the season, that is a very hot and bold take. I'm just saying I would not be shocked if he did. Well, it, it just kind of comes down to whether or not that he's able to, you know, play the game effectively. And I, I mean, I'll give you an example. So. I think we talked about this last year with Carson when he was on the Colts. There was a point in time where you were of the mindset that if the Colts ran the ball every single play, you wouldn't be mad about it just because Jonathan Taylor was a beast last year. And there were times where you were literally begging Frank Reich. I mean, literally begging Frank Reich to run the ball more. I've always... I'll bring this up. I remember... The Patriots played the Bills last year. We ran the ball 45 times against them. We threw the ball three times. Mac was two or three in that game. And the only thing I could think of in my head was Colts fans are probably thinking, why don't we do that? Why don't we run the ball 45 times with Jonathan Taylor and, and then our, our our role players in the running back core? They'd have no problem with that. Great, if you lose the game, you're losing with your bread and butter. And... I think that kind of sums up Carson Wentz's tenure with the Colts. There were times where Carson did well, and then the times that he did poorly, it was it was bad. What? Why, why aren't we running the football? Why aren't we running with Jonathan Taylor? Just because when you have somebody of that skill set, I'm talking about Jonathan Taylor, who's probably one of the best running backs in the league at this point. You know, give him carries, and I think. I think a part of that may have had to do with the fact that Carson Wentz and Frank Wright have been, you know, buddy-buddy pretty much since Carson's come into the NFL. And I know off the field, they're very good friends between the two of them. And I do think at times that that personal relationship that both Carson and Frank Wright had may have gone a little bit too far in when it came to going out in the field and setting up plays for the offense for Indianapolis. And... You know, it didn't work out. You know, Colts missed, Colts missed the playoffs. They they had a chance to make the playoffs, too. They had their chances. And they just fell a little bit short. And I think I think a part of it is on Carson. And I think a part of it is on Frank, too. You know, I think play calling is a big thing. And I think there were times where they probably should have ran the ball more effectively with, John, with Jonathan Taylor instead of deciding Carson Wentz to carry them to the promised land. And, you know... 
we'll see what happens with Carson in Washington. You know, maybe he maybe he gets on a hot streak and kind of revitalizes his career. But it's kind of up in the air right now. I, I'm not going to go as far as what the um, – we were talking about this earlier. Uh, who was that beat reporter or that reporter that asked him that ridiculous question about – I don't remember the name. Oh, my basically, God. He was basically insinuating that he's trash. Yeah. Like, they're basically, like, this is it. Like, this is it or you're done. It, like, it, in the question that he was proposing to Carson in person, the fact that guy Carson should, guy should be fired, bro. That the, horrible. The, the fact that Carson was able to maintain a level head with that loaded of a question. Granted, you know I understand when it comes to reporting. You know sometimes you do have to ask tough questions, but it, it was in the manner that he spoke the question. You have to word that differently, man. He yeah. literally said, you know, Philly didn't want you. The Col- like Indy didn't want you. Like who says that to a professional athlete to their face? Yeah, it just it's one thing to ask a loaded question, but that one was that one was too far gone even for me because I, I remember watching and hearing the question that that reporter posed to him, and I'm just like thinking like, dude, like he's right in front of you, and like the tone in the manner that you, that you proposed a question to him, even I thought that that was out of bounds. Like that was like that was kind of a, that was kind of a bad move on that reporter's part as far as I'm concerned. But That's terrible. You know, I, I I give Carson credit for being able to maintain that very well, though, because I guess that's where the personal character comes in, because that's a question where a lot of athletes would have lost their head. Agree. In, the, in the way that that reporter phrased that question. There's no doubt in Fact. my mind about that. Fact. But with, but with that said, we're going to move right along and we're going to talk about Another young quarterback uh, who's in the headlines. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Zach Wilson and the recent injury scare that he had in his first preseason game. Now, the Jets played their first preseason game this past weekend, but really the main story was the health of their star quarterback in Zach Wilson. Uh, Zach Wilson uh, went out awkwardly in that preseason game, and a lot of people were fearing that it was possibly an ACL tear. And you know, Kevin, we, we've watched a lot of non-contact injuries before, and that one looked like it kind of fit the description of a possible torn ACL. But it seems as if Zach Wilson has dodged a bullet and may only miss two to four weeks. Uh, he's going to get surgery, I think, at, like as of now, or he by the time that the episode comes out, he'll have already had the uh, procedure done. But instead of possibly missing the entire season, he may only miss two to four weeks. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, how do you look at the Zach Wilson injury going from possibly a torn ACL from the looks of it to only being out two to four weeks with a slight procedure this past weekend? Dude, it's, it's, they dodged a bullet. There's no way around it. There's no different way to phrase it. They legitimately dodged a bullet. As good of an offseason as the Jets had, as good as a free agency as the Jets had, without Zach Wilson, their plans fall to shit. There's no way around it. He's young, he's athletic, he showed flashes last year that he can be good. They went and bolstered a lot of different positions around him. They got depth on the defensive side to get him the ball faster. I think that they have an entire offseason with him fully ready to go and healthy, and then you go and you have this, a bone bruise and a torn meniscus. And this is the same knee that he had messed up last season. Him being out supposedly two to four weeks, and he will be going arthroscopic surgery this week if he hasn't already had it, um, to repair the torn meniscus. 
I'm thinking that they're going to probably hold him out the maximum amount of time. And if he were to miss a game or two of the regular season, since kickoff is about three weeks out, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, especially because this is something you don't want to rush back because this is your knee. This isn't your opposite shoulder like Baker Mayfield. This isn't your opposite hand. This isn't something that can be bandaged up. This is your knee. This is something you're going to have to you know, m- be mobile and, and figure out how to throw off of everything. That Your knee is pivotal for you. Um, and this could have been bad. Like Kyle said, we've seen enough injuries in not only our podcast tenure, but as fans of the sport to where you're like, oh my God, this looks atrocious. That is terrible. And it was a non-contact injury, like Kyle also stated, and it just looked really bad. And I think that the Jets are very fortunate that this didn't sway into a torn ACL or worse. Uh, so Zach Wilson being out a month is probably the best case scenario here because you do need him to play the rest of the season. You do need him to try to compete. And we all know that the AFC East is already a competitive division in and of itself. But uh, without Zach Wilson, the Jets' chances are basically 0%. And I will be the one to say that I critiqued Zach and I expect him to have a good season. Uh, Kyle and I both critiqued Zach Wilson getting drafted. We thought that he was going to be the, a waste of a pick. And... um I can only speak for me in this sense, but I think that if Zach Wilson were to come back healthy, I think that he would have a solid season, maybe 25 touchdowns, maybe about 10 interceptions, close to 4,000 yards. I think he has maybe a couple rushing touchdowns or two. He's got a little bit of a swagger to him. He's got some confidence. He's got some off-the-field drama with the whole sleeping with his mom's friend or whatever or girlfriend's mom. I don't know what the hell it was, but um, I think Zach Wilson's going to have a good season as long as he remains healthy, but the Jets 100% are thanking every god and doctor of medicine that he did not tear his ACL because this could have been really bad really quick. I mean, when it, when it comes to the injury scare, I mean, it's a it was a big one because at first look, it looked like it was a torn ACL. I, I remember watching the replay. I remember watching the slow-mo. It was a pure non-contact injury. He was just making a cut, and he just fell to the ground right after it. Now, fortunately, like Kevin already outlined, it's only going to be out two to four weeks. He's already got a small arthroscopic uh, procedure scheduled already. More than likely, it may already be done by the time uh, that the segment comes out. But overall, there's no doubt in my mind, very similar to what Kevin said, that the Jets dodged a bullet here. Now when it comes to their outlook for the rest of the year, I would probably think that Joe Flacco may be the week one starter uh, just because the season's only two and a half to three weeks out. Um, more than likely, I think as long as Zach uh, does pretty well for this procedure, I think he's probably going to be out four weeks. I, I do tend to agree with Kevin. I think that the Jets are probably going to side with keeping him out just a little bit longer unless he shows that he's ready to go week one. But overall, the Jets are kind of in a precarious situation here. They did not have that good of a year last year. When you look at the AFC East as a whole, they're at the bottom, and there's no other way to look at it. You know, you got the Bills, who are arguably one of the best teams, if not the best team in the AFC as a whole. The Patriots made the playoffs last year as a wild card team. The Miami Dolphins went out and got a pure number one wide receiver with Tyreek Hill to go along with Tua. And then they have Jalen Waddle, who's really shown some flashes early in his career. And when I look at the Jets, the Jets have Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson had a terrible year last year at, at his rookie campaign. Threw nine touchdowns to 11 interceptions and didn't even throw for 2,500 yards passing. And there were a lot of times where he made some errant passes and he made some t- mistimed throws 
that was just weren't necessary. Now, hopefully, he's able to learn from those mistakes and he's able to go out and have a pretty good sophomore campaign. I am not as high as Kevin is potentially when it comes to Zach Wilson in his second year. I think Zach is going to have similar issues that he had with last year. Do I think that he's going to be, do I think that he's going to have more touchdowns to interceptions? I do believe that. I don't think it's going to be that much though. I do believe that he's still going to turn the ball over quite frequently as a member of the New York Jets. I still am of the mindset that he's going to throw probably somewhere between 10 to 15 interceptions but I think he will throw for 18 touchdowns. I do believe, you know, having Corey Davis, having Garrett Wilson, those are some decent targets to throw to. I like CJ Uzuma as a, as a tight end option. So he's got some targets to work with. But overall, the Jets are just a dysfunctional team still. And I don't think that Zach Wilson necessarily makes them that good of a team going into this year. I think that they will improve from last year. I don't want to say that, you know, it's all doom and gloom when it comes to Zach Wilson in this upcoming year with the Jets. He will improve from last year, but I'm of the mindset they they really have nowhere to go but up this year. So if the Jets win five or six games, I think that, that that's an improvement. If they win seven, even better. But I just don't think that Zach Wilson's to the point where he's going to carry the Jets to a point where they're somewhat relevant in the AFC. I don't even think they're really even that relevant in the AFC East just because of how competitive it is. So, you know, when, when I look at the Jets this year, and specifically Zach Wilson, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate, or at least I'm happy about him not missing the entire season when it comes to possibly tearing his ACL. That that didn't happen, so thank God for that. But overall, you know, when Zach Wilson does go back into that starting role as their quarterback, I just don't think it's going to translate to a lot of success for the Jets this year. I just need to see a little bit more consistency from him. And up to this point, I haven't yet. Can he prove me wrong? 100%. It's just I'm not sold on it yet. It's going to take time for convincing. I'm not going to sit here and lie. And, you know, to be clear, I know that I said that he's going to have a good year, but I didn't by any means say that that was going to be pivotal for the Jets winning the division or making a run in the AFC. This was just off of my beliefs that the Jets did enough in the offseason between the draft and free agency that they put enough pieces around the kid to make him have a better year than he did last year. So, again, I'm just clarifying before people roast me and say, oh, you thought Zach Wilson was going like, to compete for an MVP? Like, no, 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 no. I just think he's going to have a better year than last year, which is a very difficult thing to not agree with because the kid had a atrocious season last year. So anything's going to be better than that. But if he can just stay healthy, do what he needs to do, Limit the turnovers. I'm not saying the Jets are going to win in 11 or 12 games or anything like that, but I think he'll be solid. So we'll see what happens as it progresses. But again, the Jets are probably praying to God, saying, thank goodness, because our future is alive. <laughs> well, that was the biggest thing. Uh, to me, the fact that they dodged that big of a bullet with him in the first preseason game, that, that's pivotal. Now, I don't know if he's going to start week one. They play the Ravens week one. That may be a game that Joe Flacco gets the nod simply just because they may not feel comfortable yeah, with that. Zach yeah. going back in yet. But by week two or week three, he's going to be back. So, you know, like I said, this is this is a two to four week injury. Thank God it's only two to four weeks instead of, you know, two to four months. So overall, um, they definitely dodged a bullet there. But do I think that that necessarily translates to decent success for the Jets this year when he comes back? 
not necessarily. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just not, I'm not sold on it yet. And you know, time's going to tell and he's going to have to prove it to me. So we'll kind of just see how it goes from there. But with that said, we're going to transition to our last segment. And that is going to be on the AFC West. And before we really dive into this AFC West preview, I think we just had to say outright that the AFC West by, by and large is the most competitive and it is the best division in football. For years, we were saying it was the NFC West and the NFC West for the last couple of years had been by far the most competitive division, but there have been some things that have changed. The chargers have really been on a decent come up the last couple of years with the drafting of Justin Herbert. Uh, We've seen the Broncos get competitive as well with trading for Russell Wilson this past off season. You have the Raiders going out and getting Devontae Adams this offseason from the Green Bay Packers. All these teams, I mean, even the Chiefs, the Chiefs did lose Tyreek Hill, but they were able to pick up Juju Smith-Schuster. All of these teams have been active this offseason to bolster their potential, how do I say this? Their potential outlook for this season. So I was going blank too. I was sitting there like... Well, yeah, I was trying to come up with a word, just couldn't find it. But overall, you know, this division is stacked. Um, There's really no other way to say it. Just to kind of do a recap of this division from last year, uh, the Chiefs did win the division at a 12-5 and record. Uh, The Raiders were the wildcard team to represent the AFC West with a 10-7 and record. Uh, The Chargers just missed the playoffs at a 9-8 and record. That was that last game of the year between the Chargers and the Raiders. Absolutely fantastic game from last year. Uh, But the Chargers uh, saw themselves looking from the outside in uh, going into the playoffs last year. And then the Broncos finished at a 7-10 and record last year. So without further ado, let's just get straight to it. Kevin, to get this one to you, who do you think is going to win the AFC West this year and why? So I'm going to be bold, and I'm going to say I think that the L.A. Chargers are going to win the division. Now I'm going to start from the bottom and work my way up because I feel that this needs explanation because of how competitive this division is. In my personal opinion, I think that the Raiders are going to be last. Now, Kyle and I were talking about this. This may be the division to where everybody is above 500, and maybe even three of these teams find a way to make the playoffs. It's going to be tough, it's going to be weird, and it's going to be a really competitive division. But again... I think that just the uh, acquisition of Devontae Adams does not solidify the injury-prone Darren Waller, the injury-prone Josh Jacobs. Obviously, you go and acquire Chandler Jones, again, another injury-prone player. You go and you trade away in Gakwe for an injury-prone cornerback from the Colts in Rakyasin, who's had hot and cold flashes. I know that you have uh, Crosby, Max Crosby as a, an elite pass rusher, and I also understand that you've had trouble in the secondary as of late. So I'm looking at this and I'm saying, I don't know if Derek Carr is going to be anywhere close to matching what Aaron Rodgers was able to formulate with Devontae Adams. I know they were teammates in college. I just genuinely don't believe that that is going to be enough to catapult them into competing for a division title. Next, I'm going to have the Kansas City Chiefs. I know everyone's going to erupt when I say this, but again, this division is competitive, and I'm solely going off of what I know. They lost Tyreek Hill. Chris Jones can never stay healthy. They lost Tyron Matthew. We don't know if Justin Reed is going to, uh, is going to fit into this system uh, the way that Tyron did. The secondary of the Chiefs has been in and out at the least. The, the receiving core outside of Tyreek Hill was never something to brag about. Juju, Juju Smith-Schuster, injury-prone himself. Pringle, 
I don't necessarily know if he's going to be able to do anything on this roster. Uh, There's so many just question marks. Other than Travis Kelsey, there isn't somebody that you can say, oh yeah, he's going to go out there and he's going to dominate. Josh Gordon, I don't know if he's going to do anything. We know that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has had his fair share of injuries that he's battling as well. Orlando Brown was injured last year. The Chiefs offensive line is a little bit inconsistent at times. Patrick Mahomes came back down to reality and had a little bit of a slump to start the year last year. There's a lot of question marks in Kansas City. Is Patrick Mahomes, in my opinion, the best quarterback in the NFL when healthy? 100%. Josh Allen is right behind him, so I will say it's kind of like more like 1A, 1B now. But still, I will give the nod to Patrick because he does have a Super Bowl. He does have an MVP. He does have a Super Bowl MVP. So we'll leave that conversation for another day. But again, I'm not saying the Chiefs are going to be under 500. I just believe that the Chiefs are the third best team in this division. I have faith that the Denver Broncos were a quarterback away from competing for a Super Bowl. And I said that last season because their defense is a top 10 defense. Their offense, when healthy, was a potential top 15, top 12 offense. And now you bring in a Super Bowl caliber winning quarterback that knows how to get the job done. He hasn't had an offensive line and he hasn't had a good defense in well over five years. The Broncos have Cortland Sutton, they have Melvin Gordon, they have Javante Williams, and they have Jerry Judy. They did lose Tim Patrick and Noah Fant. Obviously, Tim Patrick tore his ACL in camp, and Noah Fant was traded to Seattle for the Russell Wilson trade. But I believe that with the offensive-minded head coach that they just got from uh, Green Bay, and of course now the head coach of the uh, freaking Broncos is going to escape me, but again, we all know and we all saw what he was able to do with Aaron Rodgers and just Devontae Adams. You give this coach the overall offense that the Denver Broncos are going to have, I believe that this is going to be a very, very potent offense. And with the good defense that they had last year, I think that this is going to be a very, very tight race for the number one seed in the AFC West. But I'm going to give it to the Chargers. Justin Herbert, smashing records within his first couple of seasons. Confidence, swagger, the ability to put a ball on a dime, the ability to throw the ball downfield, composure. I feel that Justin Herbert is right there with Joe Burrow. And just like we talked about the top 25 or the top five quarterbacks under 25, I think that Justin Herbert is literally the 1B to Joe Burrow's 1A. And I say that because Joe Burrow has been able to win and go farther. Even though he tore his ACL in his first year, he took the Bengals to a better position last year in the Super Bowl. Now, you look and you, you look and you say, well, what have, what have the Chargers done this season? Khalil Mack, extended Bosa. J.C. Jackson. They re-signed Mike Williams. I mean, they have done so many things to this already deadly roster, and you've made it stronger. You've solidified the defensive side of the ball, which was the biggest issue for them. You get a number one corner, you get an elite pass rusher, and then you go and you re-sign your number two wide receiver next to Keenan Allen. Austin Eckler's healthy this year. Jesse Jackson's healthy this year. If you can keep Justin Herbert upright, limit the turnovers for the bad throws that Justin Herbert tends to make sometimes in crunch time, this team can easily win anywhere from 12 to 13 games, in my opinion. Again, I understand that this is going to shock a lot of people and piss a lot of people off, especially Chiefs fans, but based on what I've seen throughout the offseason and just in history with the, the rosters as they are assimilated as I've gone over them, I think that this is going to be a tight race for who wins, but I do believe that the Chargers are going to be first. I do believe that the Broncos are going to be second. The Chiefs will be third. And that, unfortunately, that rounds up for the Vegas Raiders to be fourth. I mean, Kevin, there's, there's not even really much left for me to say. I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head here. 
I remember when we were talking about this before we started recording, uh, we were going over all the different schedules that the teams in the AFC West have this year. And we were primarily looking at the Chiefs. And the, the Chiefs just had, I mean, a gauntlet of a schedule. And just to kind of give you guys an idea of what the Nathaniel Chiefs Hackett schedule... is the head coach for the for the Broncos. I had to look that up. It was driving me nuts. You're good. Um, just to kind of put this in perspective, I'm going to go through the Chiefs schedule here just because this is not an easy schedule. Week one, they have to play the Cardinals on the road. I think that that would be a win for the Chiefs. Week two. A, I believe it's a Sunday night game. They play the Chargers at home. That's a toss-up game. That's going to be a great game. Then they go on the road to Indy. I think the Chiefs get that one. But then they got to play the Bucks on the road. They got to play the Raiders and then the Bills. That's a tough stretch. And then after that, they got to play the 49ers and the Titans. Then they have an easy game, I believe, against the Jaguars about halfway through the season. And then after that, they have to play the Chargers, the Rams, the Bengals, and then the Broncos in that month stretch. I believe that is from November 20th to December 11th. Their next easy game is against the Texans, and that's the fifth game in that month stretch. I mean, it is a gauntlet stretch basically around the halfway point of the year. And then they finish up the year with the Broncos and the Raiders which are no easy games as far as I'm concerned. Those divisional games are always tough. But when I look at the Chiefs' schedule here, bro, there might be seven losses here. I could see the Chiefs potentially losing seven games here. Now, do I think that Patrick Mahomes could be able to pull some magic to pull some games out? Yeah, potentially. But I, I'm looking at maybe 11-6, and 10-7. and seven. I think best-case scenario might be 12-5. and five. But I, there's a very real possibility that the Chiefs could lose seven games here. The Chargers, I believe, have an easier schedule because we were going over that earlier. The Chargers, a whole had, lot easier. The, the Chargers, granted, that they've got some tough games as well. Those divisional games in the AFC West are going to be tricky. But overall, if I just had to put my two cents on it, the Chargers have the easier schedule to work with here, and I do believe that the Chargers are going to win the AFC West. So I'm, I am in agreement with Kevin. But overall, this division is just stacked from top to bottom. And just because that we are predicting that the Chargers are going to win the AFC West, it does no mean, it, it does in no way guarantee that they're going to go out there and do it. The Broncos could go out there and shock a lot of people and win the AFC West. The Chiefs could continue their reign as the top dog in the AFC West this year. Only team that I don't think is going to win the AFC West this year is the Raiders. I just don't see them doing that. Now, granted, they were the only team outside of the Chiefs to make it to the playoffs from this division last year. And they beat the Chargers in the most pivotal game of the year between the Raiders and the Chargers. The Raiders were able to get that dub in the last game of the year where both freaking Derek Carr and Justin Herbert were slinging it the entire game. Could the Raiders find a way to make it to the playoffs again? Sure. But it's gonna be it's gonna be an uphill battle for the Raiders as far as I'm concerned, just because I think the Broncos are a better team than them. I think the Chiefs are a better team than them, and I think the Chargers are a better team than them. But if you're fourth fiddle in that division and you you made the playoffs last year, that's gotta count for something. So I mean we'll see. It is a new year. 
And there's been a lot of movement this offseason with all of these teams making big name splashes in free agency or making high profile trades. There's definitely going to be a lot of fireworks in this division in the AFC West this year. There's no doubt about it. And it's honestly probably one of the more compelling parts of this upcoming season as far as I'm concerned. This is the division to watch this year, without a doubt. It's going to be crazy, bro. I'm literally sitting here just like those games, those, those divisional matchups against one another are must-see TV. Like every week, like it's just the AFC West has always been a competitive division in general. Like they've always played against the Chiefs tough, especially the Chargers and the Raiders. Um, the Broncos, not so much because they've had inconsistencies at the quarterback position, but since Derek Carr has been on this team, the Raiders have at least given them a fight. Um, dude, I don't know if I'm going to be able to watch every Colt game this season because I'm going to want to see the AFC West. Like they, I, I'm going to want to see them like crash at each other. It's going to be nuts. You can make a legitimate case that each divisional game could be a pride time game on its own. You can make that case. Granted, I know the Raiders are technically fourth in our prediction and what's going to happen with the AFC West this year, but you can't tell me that the Chiefs and the Raiders wouldn't be a great game on Sunday night football or a Monday night football matchup. Or the Chargers going up against the Broncos. That wouldn't be fireworks. The Chiefs going up against the Chargers. The, the, the Raiders going up against the Broncos. Like All of these games by themselves, when it comes to just specifically the divisional matchup that takes place you know, individually for e- each of these teams, they'd be great primetime games. Or maybe like one of the they could fill one of the, uh, the primetime slots in the afternoon on the later slate, at the, like the 425 slots. Like, these are some high-profile games, and the fact that it's all within one division is insane. It's going to be crazy, and I'm looking forward to every second of it. The fact that football is just on television, I don't give a shit if it's practice squad players beating each other up in a fist fight, Bro, there's football on the TV screen. I just genuinely am just over the moon. I know. And, bro, we're only a couple more weeks away. I believe the, the first game of the year is in the first week of September? September 8th, I think. Yeah, okay, so second week. Something like that. But overall, we're getting very close. Obviously, we still got a couple more preseason games to go. Um, trust me, these preseason games are huge for these for these practice squad players, for the players who just got drafted this past draft class. I mean, this is these are must see moments for the for these guys, and they got to maximize their opportunities because you may only get one, and that's the thing. These guys got to make the most of their opportunity to possibly make a squad here, and if they don't. Unfortunately, it comes with the business. We all know how cut. this. Yeah, I was just about to say we all know how this business works. Yeah, it is cutthroat. So, um, it's no other way to sugarcoat it. But that's just kind of how we see it. But um, it's our first episode in almost a month, so it is actually kind of nice to get back into an episode format once again. I know we've been kind of busy with just putting out individual segments here and there, but it was nice to actually you know, be able to sit down and be able to craft an agenda and actually record an episode. It's been quite a while. And uh, I don't know about you, Kev, but I was definitely glad to uh, to get back into that element once again. Oh, 100%, bro. We've been itching. And again, just based off of our schedules and, of course, kind of like in our opinion, we all know that there's plenty of content creators putting things out in their opinions that they feel are, you know, mentionable. But we want to have some concrete things to bring to you guys. We all know that preseason isn't exactly entertaining, but the fact that the NFL is just back in and of itself is content for us. Because we're just excited to see what's going to happen with a lot of marquee players, a.k.a. exactly why we talked about what we talked about today. And for some, it may be stale. For some, it may be, what the hell's the point? It's only week one but of the preseason. Um, 
we just find that we need to kind of put a spin to a lot of things. We have a lot of things coming up in the works, uh, uh, some big news that we're not going to reveal right now just for obvious reasons, but um, some good stuff has kind of transpired over the weekend, and Kyle and I are looking to keep you guys updated over the course of the next week. But, you know, fingers crossed. Hopefully we can turn something out, and, you know, we'll have a big update for you guys come when we record next. Yeah. I mean, just to kind of give you guys an update for the rest of the week, um, it's going to be very similar to what we've been doing the last couple of weeks. We'll be dropping kind of like small little segments here and there. Uh, we'll put up like some YouTube shorts some TikTok videos uh, just to keep the content flowing. Um, more than likely, I don't believe we're going to put out another episode this week just because I've got a bachelor party to go to uh, this upcoming weekend. So I'm going to be busy from basically Thursday till Sunday when I get back. But, you know, when I get back, we'll be kind of getting closer to uh to more Kick episodes off. yeah you know obviously we'll have the uh, the second week of preseason games uh this upcoming weekend so maybe we'll do a recap on that and then just any sort of uh big name stories or just stories that kind of get our attention uh we'll try to integrate those into our content for next week but pretty much just for the rest of the week just expect some small little content drops here and there mostly in the form of just small segments it's going to um, be uh it's going to be interesting for the next couple of weeks cuz again like Kyle said we got some stuff going on but once Kyle's back I know I don't have anything going on I don't think Kyle's got anything going on it is content 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 for the next couple months. Yeah, I this has been one of those summers where I've just been I've been busy. Like just been busy with a bunch of stuff just vacations, work, bachelor parties. This is my second bachelor party in under a month. It's just been it's been nonstop. So uh, hopefully, um, you know, once I get back from this bachelor party this upcoming weekend, uh, things should be stable as far as I'm concerned for the foreseeable future for me. So there shouldn't be really any more interruptions after this week when it comes to what we upload on a consistent basis. It will be stabilized at that point. But um, Kevin, I, I've got nothing more to add here. Um, it was just good to get back into the recording session. It's been a long time since we've done it as far as recording an episode. And um, I'll let you take it out from here, bro. All right. So we're going to wrap this up, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be seeing some content trickle through the week. Obviously, you know, follow us on all yeah, social media platforms. TikTok has been blowing up. Uh, YouTube has been doing great lately. Obviously, follow us on Twitter if you don't already. You know, the links will be posted at the bottom of our videos. Uh, but overall happy with what we've been able to put out with our limited time together and obviously with our limited amount of time that we've been available but can't ex can't express how amazingly grateful we are for the opportunity that we've had to be able to provide information for you guys and of course just be ourselves and have fun with it so um you know with that being said we're gonna have uh, some stuff coming up in the next couple of days but you know until then we'll see you guys again soon and we appreciate all the support yep see you guys later Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid. 
Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric cast.